Welcome to Bethany Bible Fellowship, where we are all about the glory of God and the good of His people. It is a privilege to be able to share this online resource with you, and we pray that it is a blessing to you, that it builds up your faith and encourages you on in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. Amen. 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 Thank you, worship team. Ah, this morning we are in the book of Romans. Yes. We are uh, harking back to the youth ministry days when we were styling. That's me and one of my youth leaders. Uh, the well-dressed. Let's talk about the well-dressed this morning. Would you stand as we read from God's word? We're in Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, and Paul continues on, and he says this, Therefore you have no excuse, O man. Every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things, and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also for the Greek but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law will perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on the day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. You may be seated. Let's explore this. If you were here last Sunday then you heard the feel-good message. The feel-good message... <laughs> what? Can I continue? The feel-good message of Romans 1, 18 to 32. And that was the message that confronted our culture. The one that described those who are actually running away from God. They aren't just walking away from their shepherd. No, they are in an all-out race to get as far away as they possibly can. And so they are actively suppressing the truth. They've, they've rejected their creator. They're believing their own lies. They're actually congratulating themselves for them. They've exchanged worship of the one true God 
for all kinds of ridiculous other things that shouldn't be worshipped. And as a result, well, they've been given over to God's abandoning wrath. That was last week. This morning, we're going to talk a little bit more about people who deserve God's wrath. And we're going to talk about those who are well-dressed. They dress up. They speak the lingo. They go through the motions. They set themselves in, in a different category than all the rest of those runners that we talked about last week. You see, there are good guys and there are bad guys. At least that's the way we looked at things when we were a lot younger and things were a lot simpler. In any good story, there's the person or the people that are causing all this mischief, problems, trouble, tension. Those are the antagonists. Then there's the protagonist. That's the person who, maybe it's the people who are in the, the limelight. They're the ones who are, well, for the most part, or at least in some sense, getting it right. They're the ones who are, despite all the challenges and all the opposition, they're the ones who are actually going to make it in the end. They'll be proven right. They'll come out on top. Just a matter of time before they're going to get the reward. And if there is such a thing as destiny or a force or a God out there, then they, of course, are on, on that side, the good side. And these are the people Paul now turns his attention to, to the ones who were giving a healthy nod to all that he was saying in the sermon last week. The unrighteous, <laughs> oh yeah, of course they're going to be abandoned by God. I mean, I can't believe he hasn't French fried them already. In fact, I've got my, my blanket, I've got my beach chair out there on the sidewalk, I got my cooler all packed, I got the sparklers ready. When does the barbecue start here? I'm ready to go. When's the fireworks show? And to that, Paul says, Hold on there, Pyro. Hold on. I just said, There's no excuse. You heard that, right? There's no excuse. No excuse for them. And neither is there any excuse for you. Therefore, you have no excuse, O oh man, every one of you who judges for passing judgment on another. You condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. It's not just the people out there that are running flat out away from God at breakneck speeds. It's not just them who are going to be judged. It's also the guys and gals who are just like you. It's the people who are all loofed up and <laughs> smell very, very nice, very fresh. They have the good guy clothes on, the good guy smiles, the good guy lingo, the good guy lifestyle. The wrath of God, the holy righteous judgment and punishment of God, that's being stored up for you. Congratulations. And someone says, you got to be kidding me. What are you talking about? I mean, I'm nothing like those other people out there. In fact, I agree with Paul. Those guys are long gone. How could you say that good people like me deserve the judgment of God like them? And he gives us a few reasons. Let's, ta let's tackle them one at a time here. First of all, 
good people are deserving of God's judgment. <laughs> because in reality, they only appear to be good. You have no excuse, oh man. Every one of you judges and pass a judgment on another. You condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Now, of course, C doesn't mean the exact things, not necessarily exact things in the exact same way. You and I might judge a guy who cheated on his girlfriend or maybe a, a wife on her husband, but of course, that doesn't mean that we've necessarily done the precise same things that those people have done. And you and I might stand in judgment on a murderer, but certainly Paul understands that we don't have a collection of bodies lined up in shallow graves out there in the backyard. At least I hope not. But you see, Paul understands that sin takes huh, many different sizes, many different shapes, and that even though your sin may differ in kind or in circumstance, Well, it's still sin. Still sin. You may not be worshiping some carved up rocks or some dolphins or some gooey little creeping things. Maybe you're not worshiping the wrong God, but maybe you're worshiping the right God in the wrong way, in a way that's not acceptable to him. Or maybe you haven't murdered. I think it's safe to say none of us have done that here, hopefully. But how many of us have assassinated someone else's character by what we said? Maybe behind their back or in gossip. Yeah, these things might differ in, in severity and the consequences that we might face in the here and now might be very, very different. But does it matter all that much in God's eyes? You remember the consequence for disobedience all the way back at the beginning. All the way back at the beginning. In fact, in Genesis 2.16, God said, You may eat of every tree in that garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And we talk about these little white lies. We talk about you know, what I do in comparison to what they do. And what I do is just, it's just so tiny. It's so insignificant. It's so small. We tell ourselves that it's nothing compared to what they're doing out there. And we forget that from the very beginning, from the get-go, any sin against God was a capital offense. The degree of our sin doesn't seem to really matter in the eyes of God, at least not when it comes to his judgment, does it? Neither does the frequency. It doesn't matter if you're breaking the law left and right, day and night, 24-7, or merely compromising every once in a while you're still deserving of God's judgment. James 2 tells us that for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. Jesus made it clear in his famous Sermon on the Mount that the heart, the, the root of sin is, is actually all the same. He says in Matthew 5.21, you've heard it was said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother 
will be liable to judgment. Verse 27, he goes on. You've heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. What's Jesus getting at? All sin is sin. And even the smallest, seemingly insignificant offense incurs the righteous judgment of a perfectly just God. We said this a couple weeks ago, that a, a just judge can't overlook a wrong, an offense, a sin. He has to bring it to judgment, to justice. An unjust judge might, might decide to grant mercy to someone, but they do that at the expense of justice. God doesn't do that. No, if this is who God is, then even, even the sweetest grandmother, who wouldn't hurt a fly, is at risk. In fact, not only is she at risk, but it's actually a given that she, along with the worst of the worst, is deserving of God's wrath. Because the Bible makes it very, very clear, there's not a single person who has walked this planet that is without sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, Paul isn't telling us anything new here in Romans 2. He's getting at what Jesus and, and all the Bible really has taught from the very, very beginning. There is not a single one who is good. Jesus said, why do you call me good? Only God is good. <laughs> Are you telling yourself that you're good because you, you aren't out there having those wild parties where they're doing all kinds of things that we shouldn't even talk about? You're not doing that. And you're not staying up late to look up explicit content. Not doing that. And yet, the reality is, even if you so much as glance at a well-formed ankle <laughs> or those sparkling eyes with lust in your heart, you're guilty. You might be thinking that because you refrain from all of those colorful four-letter words uh, or those taboo words out there, you're clean. And yet those four-letter substitutes or the sighs or the grunts of frustration that we give out can reveal the same heart sin is present inside. Jesus told a story about two men. They were praying at the same place, same time. He said that one of them, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. Fast twice a week, give tithes of all that I get. And Jesus said, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, God's really not a fan of people who think themselves better than others. We might be impressed by the way other people dress out there. But no, he sees straight into hearts. 
and what he sees, the Bible tells us, is not pretty. The human heart, deceitful above all things, desperately wicked, desperately sick, Jeremiah 17, 9. What's the condition of your heart? Have you been tempted to look around at everybody else and feel a lot better about yourself? That's classic junior high school move. <laughs> Paul asks some hard questions in verses 3 and 4. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape God's judgment, the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repent. It's so easy to be fooled into thinking you're okay. I fooled myself for so many years. In fact, it's one of the greatest deceptions of the human heart. There are three common ways that we, we fool ourselves. They're worth taking note of. First is this, we're, we're fooled by the scales. The scales. We put ourselves up against other people. We see we're not nearly as bad as them compared to them. We feel pretty moral, feel pretty upright, proud of our superior ethics. You know what that reveals about you, about me? It reveals that we're trusting in our character rather than the righteousness of Christ that he grants to us by faith. And Paul says, no, 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 no. All sin is sin. In fact, you're doing the very same things. The same root of sin is at work in your heart. Second way that we fool ourselves so very often is by looking at the circumstances. Things are going pretty well for us. Maybe we have the car, the house, the surplus in our bank accounts. Maybe we got the adoring spouse or those halfway decent children. They're not in jail. Pretty proud of that. We got good health. Boy, good friends. God's blessing. Hashtag blessed. Got it in the kitchen. One pastor points out, that's when we've bought into the lie that our circumstances and not the character of God is the basis for our faith. Everything's going great. God must be really happy with me. Paul says that we shouldn't look at the kindness of God as any kind of indicator as to how pleased or displeased he is with us. No, his goodness, at least to some degree, it's experienced by every single person on the planet. When we do recognize his goodness in our lives, what we should be thinking is, why me? I don't, I, I, I don't deserve this. How, how could I treat him this way when he's this good to me? I need to make a change. I need to turn around. I need to be made right with him. Third way, we often fool ourselves. We fool ourselves into thinking that we're going to escape God's judgment by the discipline that we try to achieve. Let me explain here. We recognize that we have all kinds of shortcomings. I look in the mirror and I see this guy and I go, this guy's got serious, serious problems. 
and, and I, I, I'm disgusted by them. I, I feel guilty because of them. So what do we do? We start beating ourselves up. Start beating ourselves up. We deprive ourselves of things. We start punishing ourselves. And we're doing penance, right? We put rigorous structures and routines in place to beef up our, our, our ability to resist temptation or to endure the fight against sin. And, and in our minds, we're thinking, well, certainly God wouldn't condemn someone who's taking his sin this seriously, someone who's trying so hard. And of course, discipline is not a bad thing. But if in all of that, our hope is that God will see the effort and applaud it, reward it, count it to us as some type of, some type of credit, we're sadly mistaken. You know, the Jews were notorious for this. They used that law of theirs, their strict tradition, to prop themselves up gives themselves reason to think, God must be really pleased, must be really happy with us. And Paul says, they're merely storing up for themselves on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. There's, there's no, no good that comes of fooling ourselves. It's, it's no good. It's no use. Those who are good, the, the well-dressed, they deserve God's judgment because in reality, they're, they're just not truly good. They only appear to be good. Another reason they deserve God's judgment is because everyone is judged by works. And that's when all of us longtime Christians and theologians and Sunday school kids start squirming in our seats and we go, wait a second. I was, I was waiting. I knew something was wrong with this church. You guys believe some off stuff here. I, I hadn't detected it yet, but here it is. This doesn't sound right. It's exactly right. Paul says it. He says it's right. Verse 6, he will render to each one according to his works. It's right there in black and white. Not only is it here, it's all over the Bible. We go to Isaiah 3.10. Tell the righteous that it should be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their deeds. Woe to the wicked, it shall be ill with him, for what his hands have dealt out shall be done to him. Go to Jeremiah 17.10. Remember verse 9, the heart is deceitful. Verse 10 says, tell the righteous no, no, no. I am the I the Lord search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways according to the fruit of his what? His deeds. You could look at Psalm 62:11. You could look at Proverbs 24:12. You're going to get the same thing and someone says, "Wait a second. Okay, I get it." But you're quoting from the Old Testament here. We've moved on. We're not there anymore. Things are different now. Are you sure? Jesus said in Matthew 16, 27, for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. What about John 5? Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life. 
those who have done evil, to the resurrection of judgment. There is coming a day, God's word tells us, that every single person that's ever lived is going to stand before the judgment seat of God. And they're going to be judged by their works. Following Jesus' lead, Paul writes in verse 7, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. You know, there are, there are brilliant people out there. There are scientists. There are medical professionals. There are chemists. There are computer brainiacs. And they're all trying to find ways to extend our lives. Man, why do these bodies break down and die? We, we have to find, crack the code and find the secret so that we can extend our lives longer. You know what they should be concerned with? Trying to find a way to escape the coming judgment. Those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness you know what? Big trouble. And someone says, well, wait a second. According to what you said a few minutes ago, no one is righteous. That's right. Paul's trying to get across to everybody. Everyone has got wrath and fury in store for them. Wait, 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 wait. Okay. But doesn't that sound like he's at least suggesting that the people who are really sincere are going to get eternal life? They're doing good. They're going to be rewarded with eternal life. Correct. Well, that sounds like all we need to do is try hard enough, be good enough, and we'll escape God's judgment. No, because none is righteous. Then why does Paul seem to suggest that everything depends on good works? And this is where we've got to remind ourselves that the point of our passage this morning is not to tell us how we can be saved. The point is, the point that he's trying to drive home and drill down into us is that we are all deserving of God's punishment. It's not about justification. This is about judgment. God judges based on works. Do good, go to heaven. Do bad, you receive God's wrath. Guess what? No one's able to do good. Uh-oh. At least in terms of genuine good that comes from a pure heart and out of a desire to please the one who created them. All have turned away. Even the so-called good things that we do are done from rebellious hearts. Therefore, they can't be counted as good. The only ones who do genuine good in God's eyes are those who have been made right with him. The those who by patience and well-doing seek glory and honor and immortality that Paul mentions in verse 7, they're the ones who have been saved by faith 
in Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. So salvation, it comes through faith in Jesus and faith in Jesus alone. It has nothing to do with works. At least not our works. Oh, actually, it is based on a really good work. A good work that we weren't able to accomplish, that only Jesus Christ was able to accomplish. Judgment, on the other hand, it has everything to do with our works. And the reason that Paul can say that we are judged by our works, some to eternal life, some to wrath and fury, is because some people are now able to do good works, some are not. Those who have been saved by faith not only can do good works, they actually were made for good works, he tells us in Ephesians. It's not by works of righteousness. He goes on and he says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God actually prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you see what's going on here? Do you see it? Christians have the ability to do good works because of the new life that they now have in Jesus Christ. It all started with his good work. And now the work that they're, that's being produced inside of them is actually his good work too because it's his life that is inside of them and his spirit that is empowering them and he's continually transforming them that they might be producing all kinds of, of fruit here. If we want to use Galatians terminology, the fruit of the Spirit, what is it? It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of that is becoming a reality within them. Do you see that kind of stuff being produced in you? This is actually really, really important. You see, faith and good works, they go hand in hand. You take away one, and there's very good reason to believe that you don't have the other. John Calvin wrote that it's faith alone which justifies, declares that a guilty sinner is no longer guilty. And he goes on and says, and yet the faith which justifies, it's not alone. James 2 tells us, Basically the very same thing. He writes, I'll show you my faith by my works. Verse 17, he says, faith itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So when you and I stand before the judge, you know what he, all he has to do? All he has to do is look and see. Are there good works? Because they'll be there. Make no mistake, they will be there if that person has Jesus Christ inside of them. If they are there, then he knows that you are a person who's been redeemed by the blood of Jesus because only those who have been redeemed, who have been saved by faith in him are going to have that evidence in their lives. You know, there are going to be plenty of people standing there who are going to say, wait a second, look at all this stuff that I've done. See, I, I, was, I didn't cheat on my spouse. I, I raised good kids. I was a patriot. I had a flag on my car. I gave to the poor. 
I did my part to stop climate change. Thank you very much. Went to church every Sunday. Did my best to keep that golden rule. But you see, unless you have been saved by grace through faith, none of that matters. Paul says there will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. For the Jew first, also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good. The Jew first and also the Greek. And so good people are headed for judgment. Well, one, because they're not really good. They just appear to be good. And secondly, because they're going to be judged by their works. And are their works going to stand the test? Are they genuinely good works? Third. Third reason the good deserve God's judgment, and that's because God hasn't left them any excuse. God has left them no excuse for disobedience. Look at verse 11. For God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law, well, they'll be judged by the law. There were people who were Jews and people who were not Jews there in Rome, as we've already talked about. Paul is trying to get across that whether you are Jewish or you're not Jewish, that actually has no bearing on whether or not you deserve God's judgment. And that was revolutionary in the Jewish mind. But it has everything to do with what you do and nothing to do with whether or not you are the people who has been given the law of God at the foot of of Mount Sinai. And he writes, For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Again, he's not saying that it's possible to keep God's law. No. He's going to go uh, on in Romans 3.20 to tell us, by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. But what he's meaning to get across here is that hearing the law isn't what saves you. Merely hearing, it doesn't get you anywhere. If you hear it, you know what? You got to keep it. And that's why James 1.22 says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Sitting here in church, listening to the Bible on your earbuds, <laughs> it's not going to save you. It's obedience that God wants to see it's the life change that comes from trusting in Jesus and having his spirit transform and empower you so that you might show evidence of the work that he has done inside of you, evidence that he has saved you. Jesus said, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And someone says, well, what about the people who have never heard about the word of God? What about them? Is God going to... No. God's going to judge them? Why should they be held accountable for doing good works or, or for disobeying commands that they, they've never even read about? They, they've never heard of this stuff. And this is where Paul makes it clear. There's no excuse. I'm sorry. 
God doesn't differentiate between Jews, those who have been given his law, and Gentiles, those, those who do not have God's law. Or between people who live in places where the Bible is readily available everywhere you turn, or who are living on some remote island, and they've never even heard the word Bible in their life. He says in verse 14, For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires... They are lots of themselves, even though they do not have the law. In other words, this is where you see that there's no legitimate excuse for not honoring and obeying God. All you have to do, look at people who have never heard the word of God. And what do you see? What you see is that so many of them are doing good things. And they're actually judging the bad things. They're being critical of all of the, the other things. I was watching some show with uh, my wife years ago. It was called Living with the Mech. And these people went to some place where these totally backward natives who had no contact with any society, and, and they're translating the things that these natives were saying. They've been living here in this jungle for years and years and years, no contact, no Bibles, none of this. And what are they doing? They're making judgment calls on each other. <laughs> How can you believe our wives do this? It was hilarious. <laughs> They're saying the same things that people say to you here in Southern California. Can you believe that they do this? Can you believe? Look at that guy over there. You see what he did? Look what I do. I do this over here. I'm like, oh my goodness. It's right. This is evidence of Romans chapter 2. Right there. What you see is God's law has been written on their hearts. They're writing laws, they're punishing wrongs. Some of them are thinking that they're better than others because they're keeping some unwritten standard. And Paul writes in verse 15, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Well, their conscience also bears witness on their hearts and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. You go to those remote places, you're going to see it there. Even some of the most warped, cultures and immoral people out there, you're going to see there's a sense of right, there's a sense of wrong. And that's because people who have been made in the image of God have this etched on their hearts, sense of what's true. There's a conscience there. There's a voice that whispers. It may be dulled. It may be affected by warped thinking and fallen hearts. It's still there. And that, Paul says, removes any excuse. We are all, all of us, rightly deserving of God's judgment. Even those who look really, really good compared to everyone else. And that's because on that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. On that final judgment day, Everything's going to be laid bare. Even those things that people who have done a really, really good job keeping their sin hidden are going to be exposed. That's a terrifying thought to me. God's going to judge even the things that we have kept secret. And you know, we're not even, we're not only talking about those 
sinister things, those dark things that we'd be horrified if anyone found out about us. We're talking about the motives too. How many things have been done just for appearance's sake? How many times have we done things that appear to be good, but below the surface there are all kinds of selfish and wrong reasons? God knows that. We might think we fooled everyone. Maybe we actually did. People think we're pretty good. There's one person who's never fooled. And when it comes down to it, it's the only person whose opinion matters. We already read Jeremiah 17.10, I, the Lord, search the heart, test the mind, to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. This is not the feel-good message. Sure, there are those who have been running flat out away from God, and they're going to face God's wrath. For a lot of people, that's a, that's, that's a given. That's obvious. In fact, we, we go, yeah, that's even a good thing. They should be judged. But for the well-dressed, the squeaky clean, the self-righteous, the hard-working, generally good guys, Romans 2, 1 to 16 is really, really bad news. Even good people, good churchgoers, good citizens, good Americans, good humanists, good animal lovers, good business owners, good students, good philanthropists, good social workers, all the good people are deserving of God's judgment. And that is because when it comes down to it, they only appear to be good. And because God judges based on works, and because with the law that he's written on their hearts, there's no excuse for disobedience. Are, are, are you one of the well-dressed? If so, you need to find a way to escape the coming judgment. You really do. More important than extending your life. More important than taking those supplements and having those regular doctor checkups than looking for those miracle cures, late night television. No. You need to find a way to escape God's judgment. And the only way to escape God's judgment is the way that God provided himself through Jesus Christ, who did the work that we are not able to do. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you for your word. It cuts to our souls. And it lays them completely exposed. And what it reveals this morning is that every single one of us, every single one of us who, who looks out there and, and, and can point a finger and say, they're the really, really bad ones, every single one of us is right there with them, deserving of judgment. Every single one of us needs you, needs the forgiveness that comes in Jesus Christ. Lord, if there's some here or listening or watching, Lord, that do not yet trust in the Savior, would they trust him now? Confess their need, acknowledge their sinners in need of a Savior, and acknowledge that Savior is Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, lived perfect life, went to the cross to die a death that they deserve to die. 
that their sin might be canceled, paid for because of him and that they might have new life, a new relationship with you and the hope of eternity in heaven because his righteousness now belongs to them. Lord, may we, may our love for Jesus Christ increase. May our awe of your goodness that is displayed in this plan that was planned out before the foundation of the earth, may that ever increase. May we never grow tired or bored of the awesomeness, the awesome power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And may we never, ever be ashamed of it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Bethany Bible Fellowship. For more resources, visit our website at bbfoc.org.